Hey everybody, Philip here. Just a quick note. Today's show, a little different, a more of a roundtable discussion. In fact, <laughs> our discussion goes long. So in fact, we outlasted Matt and Gabby's abilities to stay because they had to go do important things in their actual careers. But you know what? As Carl Sagan said, no one's coming to help this pale blue dot. It's up to us. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for ifing. And let's get ready to roundtable! Welcome to what? The if. Where the if? Who the, who, what, where, why the if? A lot of questions. Will we, will we be able to answer all those? Uh, one paragraph at a time, right? As the uh, English teachers taught us a long time ago. Oh, is that right? Is that <laughs> so five paragraphs and you're done? Yeah. <clears throat> I like that. I like that. Um, that those dulcet tones are uh, coming from Matt Stanley. Doctor. Is it Dr. Matt Stanley? Uh, it is indeed Dr. Matt Stanley. Doctor. If we were in Germany, it would be Herr Professor Doctor, but I do not insist on that when outside the fatherland. Right. You are a professor of hair, by the way. I greatly admire your <laughs> coiffure, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, is it? Yeah. Or maybe it may be the hair. Maybe all of our hair is, you know, they say like cats are actually running us. I think it could be our hair is actually in control. I don't know about you guys. I think about it a lot, especially since COVID. So <laughs> enough about that. Um, Gabby Panicia, how are you? I am doing good. Staying alive in the viral hellscape. <laughs> Gabby is a virologist, so I would think a viral hellscape is fantastic job security. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good job security, at least currently. Um, inevitably, people forget about plagues, and then you know we'll go right back to people being like, "What is it you do?" So <laughs> <laughs> I'll ride the high while I have it, but it's a pretty kind. Of, it's kind of like one of those low highs. Like you're right about it, but you don't want to be. Right. One man's viral hellscape is another one, another man's uh, viral heavenscape. Job security. Yeah, job security. Exactly. Heavenscape. There's a there's a phrase you don't hear that often. Gabby, how would just before we begin, what are your feelings on UFOs? I am very skeptical. Well, I do definitely think, you know, at least based on the raw statistics of it, we can't be the only life in the universe. I've yet to see any video of an unidentified aerial phenomenon, which is anything which can't be easier explained by a camera effect than it can be by aliens are here. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, Matt, how, how do you feel? Um, I feel that uh, it's, uh, of course, obvious that we see things in the sky that are unidentified and therefore there are UFOs. It's the chain of reasoning attached to that that uh, I'm usually uh, worried about. Ah, chain of reasoning. That's a good thing. So let me bring in now three guys who are, I'm such, you are heroes of mine, all three of you. It's like the holy triumvirate uh, of YouTube. And um, I'll let you each introduce yourself individually, but you are collectively the, uh, I almost said unemployed, the unidentified we, we so there's a toy company called the, the unemployed philosophers guild just so you know i wasn't a joker um who makes these funny little puppets that we send to people um unidentified celebrity review yeah it's the ucr network mike's show is called singularity lab so between the two shows uh we do five 
shows a week. And so today, the, the focus today is you've been doing one thing uh, with with all the um, you know UFOs very much in the news uh, again. Um, you've actually got conversations. This is what I found so exhilarating watching the shows. You've got discussions on your show, like you actually have people who sometimes pretty far on the spectrum from, let's say, believer. I hate to you know uh, stereotype these things, but say believer to hardcore skeptics, uh, debunkers, or whatever, coming together. Being, you know, find, having some tension and yet I believe building respect towards each other, which has been a goal of mine ever since I was a, when I was a kid and I was watching Carl Sagan and Carl Sagan used to do this somewhat. Um, or I think even at heart, maybe his, his whole project, you know, with Cosmos was to, mm -hmm. that's why not, definitely not going after UFOs wasn't the main focus of Cosmos, but the idea of just getting people to understand science or at least the scientific method but not losing the sense of wonder let's say um and and uh the keeping those things in balance um was helpful but there's this terrible rift in society as there was back then it probably goes all the way back to uh, ancient times um yeah if we see 2001 you can see that uh, i think that those the two tribes of apes uh, two tribes of uh, proto-humans who were of beating each other at the uh, watering hole. Probably we're arguing about UFOs, right? Because <laughs> For, well, it's, it's, the next yeah. scene certainly suggests Did that. you see the black rectangle last night, guys? <laughs> no, it was a hoax. It was, it was an optical illusion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably drone tech. <laughs> That's right. It was a drone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eat this drone, buddy. Um, so, so uh, in that vein, and, and those who've been listening to our show know that we've been touching on this subject a lot. I, I loved having these conversations. So it's unusual one. It's more of a sociological if this week. Uh, and by the way, the the UFOs have, the, there was an incident. We had started recording and then a mysterious thing happened, which only happens when you do shows about UFOs. It was called I Unplugged My Mic and it shut down Zencaster. It shut down the whole thing. It shut down the whole app. The yeah. skeptic yeah. speaks. That's right. <laughs> right. So here, the music will sound odd to you, but what the if? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's kind of cool, actually. It's a little more groove to it, half speed here. What the if? What the if you were given the assignment? And I think most of our audience comes from the skeptic side. I definitely would, would say that. Um, and you had to go, um, let's say you got invited to a cocktail party. I love the cocktail party now too. What if you went to a believer cocktail party? And without spending all the time at the bar or by the shrimp, which I know you would do. That's what well, I would, would be do. my temptation. Guilty you, as charged. You went out and you wanted to talk to people. Um, I think, uh, where would you begin? Now, you guys, so here, here's the thing. Do you, um, any one of you, anyone here, anyone here on our illustrious panel, have you started a conversation sometimes with somebody and then, re let's say about UFOs, and then you realize, wow, this person's coming from a totally different place? We've had that on our show multiple times yeah. where folks yes. would <laughs> begin to tell us things as fact 
yes. that are that are way out there. And we do. And, and as Lou said, we try to keep our show as as terra firma as possible, as close to reality as we can, while using this, uh, you know, different people's experiences and this this as a sort of thought storm and, you know, allow ourselves to go there. But there are times when people, you know, have their experiences and and they want to share them and they just share them as fact. And it's so fantastic and so out there. It can be very difficult to, uh, to kind of bring the show back. You know, that's interesting. And you said experiences like, are are you, do you mean actual, like a UFO experience? Yeah. Or, or beyond that, um, paranormal experiences that they've had in association with UFOs. And so, you know, you'll have folks who have, you know, ghost experiences, poltergeist experiences and UFO experiences. And and to try to manage all of those different ideas in a, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in a very grounded way can, can be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I say it's, you know, not just yeah. believers, it's experiencers, you know, Michael's completely right, because they're telling their truth, you know, and I don't think that right. most of them are lying, yeah. but I don't necessarily accept what they're saying at face value either. So it's kind of a, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. well, I mean, just, I think I'm, I'm out of the three, I know Michael has, has had an experience but as he's as an adult he's like well, that could have easily been drone tech whereas with me as a 13 year old kid i had a close-up experience in a at a party with a bunch of adults and when the adults at the party were confused that's when it, it hit me oh this is different um but it's very difficult and and i mean on last night's show i i kind of realized this as we were talking about it like i try to compartmentalize my experience away from the discussion because i don't want to bring my personal emotions to the table when we talk about this because my standard of information now has become if i can't take your story if i can't take your experience i can't take your record and put it on the set the desk of a senator or a congressman it's not good enough and my story is not good enough to put on the desk of a senator as compelling as it is i could probably go back and find 15 witnesses which i plan on doing one day just because i want to know if these people still remember what i remember yeah um but it's it's hard it's difficult to do um and i realized that because as i was watching the showtime documentary i had that pit in my stomach like oh man what if I'm totally wrong on this? What if I'm absolutely 100% wrong? And that's okay. Like to have that thought process work through my system is healthy. Um, and just as long as I could come back and say, well, you might be wrong, but even if you are, the other options for what this is, is still amazing. If it's foreign tech, holy cow, is it a problem? It's a big problem. Yeah. If it's our tech, holy cow that is cool. <laughs> like, could we talk <laughs> yeah. about this scientifically? Could we give it to scientists so they can explain to me the dumb, dumb, how it works, you know? So yeah. either way you slice this story, it's the biggest story out there. I, in my opinion, it's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. 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 Um, Gabby, have you ever had an experience or do you know people who have had experiences that they, uh, Nope. No nope. more, I guess maybe never. one friend more on the ghost side of things. Um, and strangely, if you ask me, I more believe in ghosts than I do in aliens. Um, Interesting. But yeah, no one really in my life. 
despite living around a lot of cornfields. I feel like that's very fertile ground <laughs> yeah. as far as pop it's culture is filming. It's literally, if it weren't fertile, there'd be no corn. So yeah. very, very fertile <laughs> ground. <laughs> yes, yes. And we, we grew up in the, you know, around the same area in Maryland. So yes, the corn grew, the corn grew, grew high. Um, uh, Matt. Do yeah. you, have you ever had an experience? Do you know anyone who's had an experience? Yes, and- I've had I've had lots. I know lots of people who have as well. Um, as I kind of said on, as I said on with the UFO question, the question isn't whether people have unusual experiences. The question is the interpretation that you assign to those experiences. I mean, humanity has all sorts of bizarre experiences and encounters. Um, Some of them are just called living in New York. Well, that is correct, right? I mean, if, if I had unrestrained interpretation for everything I saw on the subway, then uh, this would be a much different show. Yeah. That's, right. That's right. I like this. It's an interesting idea. We actually see, if you think about it, we see things all the time that we don't understand. Um, I mean, there are things my cat does, but also people you know extremely well. will mm-hmm. do, You yourself will do things that you don't understand. Why did I do that? And I, I was going to say, why don't we investigate that? But in fact, Sometimes you do, and sometimes you end up paying lots of money to investigate what this was mm-hmm. um, that you did. Uh, but but what it comes down to is the 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 experience, the person who's had the experience. Um, I won't, yeah, let's, I won't even label them as an experiencer. That sort of defines a person, right? Someone who's had an experience. Uh, some people have created an answer for that that they have they seem to have lost the inquisitiveness about actually finding the answer. And therefore, it, it gets very frustrating, certainly from the, if, if you're coming from the skeptical side, scientific side, they'll say, why aren't you open-minded enough to allow this? But it feels like the most closed-minded thing that's happening is the person is saying, I know what this was. Why aren't you just accepting it on face value? And I would even go on from that. And I, w- I would actually argue that a lot of the experiencers are still very open-minded, but they're only open-minded in the perspective of digging deeper into what they believe their experience was. And they get very angry, to your point, with skeptics and folks who are you know, trying to point out other possibilities and specifically debunkers. That's what makes them the most angry. And in fact, that's what makes me angry as well, is when somebody walks in and they'll take, they'll dissect an entire experience and find a hole. And then instead of being inquisitive about the rest of the experience and looking at the entire data set, they poke one hole and then they they pull the whole thing down and i think that's what upsets the experiencer more than anything yeah and I, I i don't think you can deny that the history here too of you know the government has been essentially lying about this issue in the 50s and the 60s with project blue book and stuff like that so there's a, a long history of mistrust here within the community yeah it's interesting because the, the i was actually just re-watching part of the um this Peter Jennings ABC documentary that I worked on just because I was curious, did I remember this correctly? And I, we, we had a, um, one of the leaders of Project Blue Book for a period, um, friend, I believe his name was William, a friend, I think was his last name, um, and who, who I guess was one of the leader before Hynek came on board. Anyway, he said, that, you know, he very explicitly said, he says, like, our mission was get this thing out of the papers. Right. Say anything, say anything. And those explanations were as absurd as any, you know. 
they didn't answer the question, but by presenting an answer, which I would say, honestly, if, if you just totally took it at face value, it'd be like, you saying that that was a star or, you know, Venus or something is completely preposterous. I bet you could even show a star chart and show that Venus wasn't even in that direction. But that's what the government put out because it's good enough for them to just get it off their back or divert. Anyway, how do you... So, so tell us some of your, you know, do you have a particularly, uh, uh, have you developed any techniques? We're masters in uh, de-escalation. So we could actually, we could do trainings on de-escalation. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, well, I think that's a huge part of it. The secret sauce for the show is to take the information and the people seriously, but not take ourselves seriously. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. that's how we do this, you know, because if we can laugh at it, uh, I think that that helps deescalate a lot of things because we do get into these conversations where, where there are polar opposites. Um, but if we can, if, you know, like for example, with Mick West, the thing we love to make fun of him is, you know, his resting Mick face, you know? And, and so we make fun of him when he comes on the show, which lowers his guard and it, it makes him more human. You know, like if you can see the guy laugh, you can say, oh, he is not a robot. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, let's have a conversation. And so I think that's, for me, that's sort of the secret sauce. Now, do you ever have, do you ever have a problem where people read the de-escalation as you not taking them seriously or disrespecting? Not specifically on the show, but we will get that feedback um, on Twitter or besides the show. And we'll get, you know, comments or people will be like, well, why? this is a serious matter. Why are you laughing? Um, but it's a very small minority. People enjoy yeah. the fun that we have and we poke fun at each other and we just have a blast and we get to talk about fun stuff that we're all engaged with. I think the biggest challenge, and this is what we warn people about often, the biggest challenge is associating your identity with the outcome of this phenomenon. So as long as you can separate your, your identity from what you expect to happen, you can enjoy the process of exploring this phenomenon. But if your identity is completely, is superimposed over your belief system, it's a recipe for danger. And that those are the people who really get upset with us. But it's also a recipe for just misery, depression, <laughs> like just pure misery, because you're going to every time something that questions that belief, you're going to lose your shit. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to get angry. Michael nailed it. You know, just trying to separate your belief from the outcome is what we always try to, you know, tell people to do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. So how do we, so I guess in this sense, this, this kind of, I, I like this frame of thinking of it in terms of sort of the identity problem, right? If, if yeah. people are, are too attached to that. And that seems like a, the kind of thing we get with politics as well, right? So it's the same kind of problem when you're at a cocktail party and you discover that the person you're talking to has some deep-seated political position. Um, and it's very clear that whatever conversation you have with that person is going to come back to that issue. Right. And they're not going to be happy unless the conversation ends with an affirmation of their political position. Um, yep. And it's uh, so, yeah, so some say UFO believers are, are like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, so once the, the usual skeptical solution to this is don't invite those people to your cocktail party. Right? But we've decided we do want to invite them. Um, so yeah. how do we how do we initiate the conversation to get around that problem? 
I think the first thing to do is listen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just listen, try to understand their perspective, put yourself in their shoes. Here's the thing, right? Especially in this field um, is there's a lot of angry people because they haven't been listened to yeah. and they've been called crazy their entire life. And so if you can listen to it, understand it, try to sympathize in, uh, you know, really live their experience i think that helps i think that for me is because i used to be the angry guy behind the keyboard and anytime i saw something that went against my belief system i'd on the keyboards it'd be the angry keyboard guy you know or if i was at a party and i had my political position i would be that guy who had his position that had to be confirmed and i really had to like step back and say dude you're you're too much like your, your, your emotions are leaking into your thought process and it's not allowing room for conversation and you're coming off like a jerk, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. how do you get people to see that mirror is very difficult. And so that's what we're trying to do with the show is, is, well, let's see if we could do it through laughter. Let's see if we could do it through, again, taking the topic seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. Um, and always reminding our audience what the standard is. What's the new standard? Can I put it in front of the senator? Yes. Great. You know, that's that's a great thing to go forward with. If we can't put it in front of a senator, still great. I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask questions about it and be genuinely curious about your experience. And I think that's how you get to it is listening and genuinely caring about what they're saying. And this goes for politics. This goes for any topic. It doesn't have to be just UFOs. Listening, genuinely listening to their person, their frustration. And I think once you start, instead of trying to attack their position, understand who they are, where they're coming from, you're going to, you're going to get there. You're going to under, you may not agree with their position, but you'll have a much better understanding of it. So next time when we have the conversation, you know how to approach this topic so that the emotions don't come first, more logic. Um, you you want to elicit the logic part of it first. Um, yeah. But it's, it's hard. It's, it's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps because I mean, for me, I'm, you know, I, I've always been fascinated with this subject since I was a kid, but I really put it on the shelf for years and I didn't come back to it until, you know, 2017 or so when the New York Times story broke that I was like, oh, <laughs> we're talking about UFOs again. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> um, and then so really digging back in and then and then doing these shows, I'm not coming from a position where you know, in politics, I may be, you know, and, you know, staunch anti-Trump or staunch pro-Trump. You know, I'm not coming from that perspective. I'm coming from a purely inquisitive perspective. So it's a lot easier for me to hear a Mick West or and a debunker and a skeptic and to hear, a, you know, an experiencer or believer. It's I'm not triggered by either of those, whereas a lot of people are. And so it's easier for me to, you know, poke fun at myself, poke fun at Lou and have a good time in this conversation while breaking it down. And the two hour format that we have every single day of the week allows us to really get in there without and and for people who are triggered from either side to hear it out and to learn a little something about the other side that they hadn't heard before. I'd love to be able to be be that person in politics who could do that. But, you know, I'm a little more passionate uh, in some of those arenas. So the fact that we can do it here 
And, uh, you know, it can be this cool bipartisan thing where you've got folks from both sides of the aisle who want answers. It's, it's a pretty neat, it's a pretty neat show. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think if you're at a cocktail party with skeptics and believers, you know, there, there is common ground here. Yeah. That we now have the government saying that there's, you know, 18 anomalous UFOs that are showing weird acceleration. That's got to be interesting to everyone, skeptics and believers alike. And I don't think anyone would be opposed to more data and more disclosure. And I think that's kind of where we find that common ground and where we can, you know, skeptics might think that there's going to be something, one thing, and believers might think it's going to be something else, but we all want that disclosure to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see a connection here, Gabby, by the way, um, with uh, masks, right? And again, I don't want to get all political here, <laughs> but it's an interesting kind of thing too, right? People passionate about not wearing masks. So I feel like I'm, I'm thinking out loud, maybe that's a place where you could see a connection where you might want to really find a way to connect to people. Um, and to lose point listening, you know, it really understand yeah. why, where, where are you develop just before, before everything turns red, you know, when somebody says, you know, you don't wear masks and then your just whole brain turns red with anger and rage. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough, but if you can step back and listen and try to understand their point, then maybe you have an inroad to have a conversation and potentially, you know, uh, have some influence. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we always say like the common ground for us, and that's why we we're doing the event we do at the big phone home. And the common ground is we want more data. This is a bipartisan issue it, with UFOs. I, for me, the UFO topic, I always try to remind people nobody's lost their mother or their child because they didn't have enough UAP data. There are some real visceral problems going on in the in the country for me i think this is the conversation that helps mend the bridges between a lot of these things because if you take hillary clinton you take marco rubio who are polar opposites but are both into the topic and you put them in a room with cocktails and you say you're only allowed to talk about this for two hours and then the third hour you could talk about whatever you want i have a feeling that third hour is going to be a lot more common ground than it would have been before they met yeah. interesting yeah we just want people to use UFOs as an aphrodisiac. <laughs> that's, an, that's an entirely different kind of party. Yeah. Gabby, what are your feelings on how you would talk to people who don't want to listen to science? Um, well, I, I, you know, I don't know. We brought up COVID earlier, and I will say not on the topic of UFOs per se, but on, I guess, it's something where people get equally heated. You often hear, well, we want more information. There's not enough information out there. What's very frustrating as a scientist is, yes, there is. But when you tell these people that information, they refuse to listen to it. So, for example, you have people who, again, have built much of their current identity in the pandemic around, you know, I hate vaccines. The vaccines are evil. They're going to make you miscarry or they make you magnetic. And at a certain point, you can tell them very conclusively, no, that is not a fact. There is research on it, mm. but they'll still be like, well, there's not enough information. And so... I, I guess to you guys, like, what, there has to be a line at some point where you draw what is fact based on, you know, you can tell this based on a lot of information, um, but some people will say, well, we need more information because no, I'm not convinced. Um, I, I have no idea how you walk that line. You're right. There's not enough scientific data to prove or disprove that this phenomena is real or not real. I think if anything, it leans more toward it's not, 
just because there's no physical proof. There's no alien body. There's no piece of the craft. Neil deGrasse Tyson always jokes, well, if you get abducted, why don't you go to the shelf and take a trinket, right? Yeah. <laughs> we had Avi Loeb, head of astronomy at Harvard on our show. And his, you know, and his thing was like, we need a good picture. We need uh, science to get a good picture. Like there have been studies done on this, but they've been studies done by our governments. And so, and, and then when you look into the study, you see, man, the, even the government study of this, they couldn't figure out 5% of it. Who knows what other discoveries we might make if we actually get into it. And he, you know, he started a, he's raised two and a half million dollars to study this phenomenon. You've got people like Avi Loeb and all of the, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, Mitchu Kaku's got no fear. He, he's got the, the child curiosity to talk about this. And that's all we're asking for. What do you say rather? Well, you know, to, to Gabby's point, you know, I think I can see how it would be very frustrating as a skeptic on this issue, because there really is no way to prove that UFOs don't exist, right? It's proving a negative. And there are some, you know, out there theories, like if you go with the interdimensional hypothesis, that's essentially the same as religion, right? That there's, you know, gods that can manifest, you know, at will. And there's no way to prove or disprove that, really. It comes down, not now. It comes down to rigor, which is interesting because, like, I actually heard this word come up on your show uh, recently once. And I was like, oh, um, and I think this is the huge cultural gap is one of the words it can come down to is rigor that the scientist says, uh, Matt used the phrase uh, earlier or something about the chain of evidence or chain of logic or things like that. But also uh, the emotional connection is interesting because Gabby, I think one of the reasons this gets me so passionate on this issue is from a science communication standpoint. It's interesting, Gabby, you said uh, they, they keep asking for more and more evidence. And what I find is that the, the evidence that we can present, and you know, if we take a moment and talk about uh, masks or vaccines or anything like that. The evidence is complicated and it's abstract. And I think it's, it's really on, and this is something I've sort taken as a personal thing. Cause like I work in the visual medium and I've, you know, work in news sometimes, but also documentary. Like it, it's shocking to me that with the COVID thing, that just like, um, I think the news or somebody could be showing it much more viscerally, you know, what's going on. Right. Wouldn't that make a huge difference instead of just people? Basically, most of what the news is on, on COVID yes. sort of, is people is a talking head, a person on TV shouting and saying, look, you idiots. But, you know, show me the war. I, I think that's a big part. Yeah, I think to, to Gabby's point, I think that's a big part of the problem is that we there's there's enough data to prove that these vaccines work. There's enough data to prove that they're effective. There's enough data to prove that they don't change your DNA. But the way it's being communicated is the problem. And when you talk to people like they're dumb dummies <laughs> and and you leave out information instead of giving them the facts, you shame them. This is the problem. And this is why people start going to YouTube. And this is why people start going to all of these other sites that are mis and disinformation centers because they don't trust the establishment who treats them like morons. And I think that is part of the problem. Now, you may say, well, they are morons, but didn't now we just proved the point. You think they're morons and you're talking to well, them. It's like also like, I mean, like our, our media system is broken. They, they, they polarize everything. Mm -hmm. And you know what got, mm -hmm the civil rights discussion really going was pictures of Emmett Till. You know, the, everybody knew that 
people were treated differently. Everybody saw the water fountains. Everybody saw the buses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until they viscerally saw it in their face, a young boy beaten to death with clubs that they, you know, they changed their, their perspectives and their viewpoints. And I think, I think if you show that with COVID people actually suffering, people dying, show the, the like you said, the visceralness of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was footage like it was happening in Italy, for instance, before here, right? In in very in a bad way. I, there was a documentary, apparently, or news footage that was shown in Italy, and they remember them showing it here, and it was horrible. It was like you know, all these people, no ro- people in the halls, the hospital completely overrun, and the people are literally suffocating with plastic bags on their head. I mean, it was horrifying. Mm-hmm. So why? Uh, I was just amazed that that wasn't ever shown. I saw that once here. Never for all the horrifying stuff that they'll show on American TV, they weren't right. Sure. Well, I mean, you remember like the thing that got people to really take it seriously was like Tom Hanks getting it, you know? Like, yes. oh, oh my god, yeah. Tom Hanks got it, Tom Hanks, you know? And then people yeah. are like, well, that means I can get it, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. you know? And right. that actually crazy? That kind of worked, like it kind of worked. Everybody, I think, started taking it seriously, and we're like, well, oh, but we got to go inside, like, this is for real, you know? When they started canceling sporting events. Like that, that for me was like, oh my God, they just pushed a playoff game for this. Like that's, I haven't seen sports change since 9-11. Like it has to be a huge event for, for the meatheads of sports to go, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to play this during a pandemic, you know? Like, so I think that things like that are visceral, things like that people saw. And so I think for, for the first wave of this thing, it was, I think a lot of people were on the same page. It was then sitting inside your house for the next year and getting all this information. And then, yeah. you know, like yeah. that's where the problem comes in. That's why you got people going, I'm not wearing a mask. What the, I'm not getting a vaccine. Look at all these, the information is, is, is terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. That's well, why we I have what we Tom have. Tom Hanks is an arm of the deep state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love I love the uh the the human logic that is exposed there. It's that okay, all kinds of ordinary people around the world are getting this disease. But I'm not going to get it. Oh, Tom Hanks has it. Therefore, I might get it. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> it doesn't make I don't sense. know how you make that leap, but people did. People did. No, no, I know. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. But it was, you know, cuz partly it was a face. Right. You know, it was a face that we recognize and, right. and, the uh, thought, and a person the, we trust. The thought, and also that early, like the thought, oh, my God, we might lose Tom Hanks to this, you know, like this American treasure. Uh, yeah. And we did what John, I don't know if you know, like if you follow music, John Prine was somebody who died. of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, we lost God. a bunch of people, a bunch of ton of people. Yeah. Ton of people. So um, uh, I, I uh, one thing I, I did want to get in. Well, I didn't want to end the show before I mentioned this is that I come with this and I think you guys know this, right? But uh, I come with this with a hilarious kind of um, the way I found you guys is so funny to me because and it leads directly to the heart of this issue. I um, had just had uh, I think we just had Mick West on or something. And um, I was when I discovered Mick West. Now, I didn't follow Mick on Twitter and I have since heard we had uh, a week or two ago. We had Chris Cogswell on from the Mad uh, the mad scientist podcast he's a fantastic mm. guy oh yeah he's coming on next week for us yeah oh fantastic yeah, yeah he's wonderful so anyway he mentioned he explained to me he says well you know on twitter mick has a different a little bit more aggressive vibe or it seems like. anyway um, <laughs> he's a troll but he that's a yeah mick, mick mick seemed to and i was just watching his videos and i was like wow you know he's so calm he's so not 
like Neil Tyson, you know, he's come and he's showing you these scientific you know, these experiments that he's done and so forth. And um, so I thought, wow, that's really great. Here's somebody who's doing, like I said, I'm compelled to find people who can communicate. And so uh, anyway, then, then he was on your show and he, and you had him with uh, Ken, Kent by Ken by, yeah. Ken, Ken by. And Kent. yeah, Kent. And, um, so I was like, great, this is great. I'm excited for this. I'd not seen your guy's show before. And uh, that, I just felt like Kent had some PowerPoint presentation oh, and he yeah. just ran through <laughs> And he, I was like, this is ridiculous, you know? <laughs> and so uh, I got really uh, frustrated. And so I went on Twitter and my first tweet and I, I should delete it but on the other hand i feel like it's important let me tell you the story for posterity leave it for posterity for posterity i just was like that don't basically i wrote this long screed as much as i could get within a tweet and i ended with like don't watch this show missed opportunity and then one of you i think it was mike <laughs> repl- or lou whatever maybe you said uh, haters gonna hate and then i was like Ooh, you know somebody puts a mirror on you and i was like oh i'm not no, 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 it's not hate. Uh, it's just, you know, evidence, evidence-based or some, something like that. And I was saying to Chris on last week's show, we were discussing it. I was like, I realized, oh, I'm the guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm the guy angry. That's right. It's the rage. And so um, I think number one tool for if you want to have these conversations, if you don't, you don't. That's fine. But uh, anger management or just it's you got to realize that there are these breathe. triggers. and. You got to breathe, but take it as an opportunity to recognize that this same trigger happens on the believer side. Right. All the time. Well, here's the thing with, with the Ken Bai conversation. And I thought when we were going through, we were like, Jesus, like part of me was like, well, this is great because we don't have to do anything. You know, you're making all the content for me. You're making my job really easy. But at the same time, I'm like, man, he's coming off too strong. Um, and I think the that's what track. happens every single time when somebody tries to debate Mick West. They first Mick West has been trolling them for God knows how long before they meet. Then they meet and all of that emotion stirs up and they just want to spitfire everything that Mick West is wrong about. It makes you look crazy. You yeah. have to. And the, Mick the, knows it. And Mick knows it. That's oh, the thing. Yeah. He knows that. And that's why the the interview with Alex Dietrich is literally the playbook on how to deal with Mick West. She was so calm. She was so assertive and so knowledgeable because now he's telling an F-16 fighter pilot, female F-16 fighter pilot, what she saw and what she recorded with her instruments honestly uh the beautiful thing that we've learned about mick is we actually agree a lot with mick he does the math he does the work on a particular show you recently you had uh, mick west and, and and a number of other people all of whom were interesting and one of your uh, somewhat regular guests i guess uh jazz shaw who's a veteran was on and um so first, I'll get to him in a second. Firstly, with Alex Dietrich, the pilot, um, your perspective on that interview with Mick West that she did with Mick West was so different from what I, the way I thought. And again, I'm going to be honest, coming, we shouldn't have teams. We shouldn't see things this way. But I like, I felt like I, I like where Mick comes from. I feel like I share that same thing about like, let's see if we can figure something out, right? right? 
what can we do? We have little data, you know, we should, we need, and like Avi Loeb says, we need a lot better data, you mm. know, um, but let's, whatever, with what we got, we got this one video screen with some numbers on it. Anyway, let's try to figure out what it is. But um, I found her to be, from the beginning when she started tweeting, you know, I was like, wow, she's this, also this fresh, gentle spirit, you know, uh, of, she says, I think it's great. I don't know what I saw. She, she said as, she's revealed as much honest open-mindedness and skepticism about what she saw as anybody um but then in mm -hmm. your pointing out you said look at how in, in your editing it was kind of funny you know but like you sort of replayed some of the clips and um had some fun with it but you you pointed out that she was kind of uh i don't know like you said sort of getting was, the top of the she was playing she was, him yeah she was playing and, him Mick, uh, sorry, uh, uh, um, Jazz Shaw, the veteran, then pointed out, he says, I can see it. And he says, I know where she's coming from. And you're pointing that out and then Jazz pointing that out and then playing it again. I really was like, hey, yes. I mean, honestly, I've turned for the first time from, uh, I think part of what Mick is doing is, and I think he's right to do so, but like there's a bit of a tunnel vision. Like he's like, yeah, like, let me focus on this particular thing. You know, there is this thing called glare, right? There's this. Is it rotating? Is it not? Okay. Um, but you can kind of lose the totality of it. Right. And like the number of people who saw it and the amount of data that was recorded, really, uh, uh, you had Dave Beatty was on your show recently, and I thought he, he was fantastic. And he said, you know, yeah absolutely there are smart people all over the place in this situation if they knew it was a balloon or something they would have said it and they would have kept everyone from looking like me, looking like yeah. a fool yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kevin um, Kevin so Day's not, you know, he's not the guy who's like about, you know, was going through turmoil and nearly lost his entire marriage and family over a balloon. Like let like come on. Yeah, I did, I, that was something I heard about more through in the JJ Abrams documentary. Yeah. Had that, um, which is very much, by the way, the story of Close Encounters, the movie. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of loses their family because they they saw something they can't. Yeah, understand. Jazz has been talking about that lately too, because yeah. he saw a Tic Tac uh, recently. Yeah, and he said he's he been did. he's been he's been the Richard Dreyfus character in his household for the past <laughs> few weeks. What do you do? Make a pile of Tic Tacs at dinner? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, the guy, the guy, the guy is uh, he's he's gone into another level since he's had his experience. That's for sure. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I will say that we'll start to wrap up here, but um, just because I love I love your take on everything. Um, so when some other time, I'd love to talk more about this, my experience making this uh, this ABC documentary. But I went into that very much a skeptic, but also believing like there's just, there's obviously a mystery here, right? Because right. every even the worst you know the cheesiest documentaries I've ever seen always end with there's a mystery there's a mystery and so I was like so psyched I, th I started that job and I believe it was about six or nine months that I worked on this thing and um day one sit down and you know we had tapes it was still tapes uh I was like okay by the end of this project I'm actually going to get to see all the dailies all the original footage right all of the interviews uncut this is unbelievable I'm getting the ultimate behind the scenes of a documentary and I'm actually going to be part of making it. Okay. This is weaker. By the end of this, I'll figure out 
the story. I thought it'd be, it's going to take, may take me till the end. I probably won't even have a firm answer. I'll be honest with you, 15 minutes in to listening to, to the, uh, some abductee experience or interviews, I was like, oh, this is completely bogus. You know, like the, the consistency of a lot of interviews and, and also some other just sort of regular sightings type things. There's no, the, the consistency, and this is something that really makes me uncomfortable, but I'll be honest, a lot of the consistency comes in the editing. Mm-hmm. And there was one time I was even editing and I stopped myself 15 minutes or 20 minutes in, I realized, oh, wow, I just sort of edit. I did what we normally do. You're even trained to do as a documentary editor. It was like, I took maybe five or six or eight, I don't know, experiencers, testimonies, cut them all together using the similarities. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that's really spooky. Wow. And I was like, wait a second. I totally made that. If I did a different <laughs> thing, you, you wouldn't get that. Now you might come away saying, well, frankly, no, it is a diverse thing. Show the diversity and blah, blah, blah. Right. But anyway, the, the, just, mm. You can no, see you're the people right. were making stuff up sometimes. Yeah, and we talk about this all the time. And no offense to you, I know you're a documentary yeah. filmmaker, but this is something that we, you know, we talk about when it comes to documentaries. You need to go in with a, you know, an open mind, but you need to keep that mind uh, skeptical because every documentary filmmaker has a point of view. And the point of view is going to make its way into the editing room. And, and we have to be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think if you see something odd, you know, you're a lot of people assume that it's aliens, but it could be one of a thousand things, right? So you get all of these different reports and it's really hard to make sense of it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so the, the uh, I came away from that whole project and I even approached the story with David Fravor with this. I will, I will end with this. So it's just sort of feel like my open opening up yet again through this whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I came away from that documentary. One of the things we focused on a lot was the Bentwaters story, Rendlesham Forest. You know, right. right. So uh, uh, just real quick for those who don't know, so there's a, a American air uh, there's an air base in England or in the United Kingdom. It's part American, part British. It's a joint air force base. Okay, so I believe the American part is no longer there, but. Uh, Anyway, there was one, you know, there was an, an incident there. There were weird lights in the forest and um, eventually some guys went out to look at it. And similar to the David Fravor thing and whatever, in that a bunch of people went out with their leader. I'm forgetting his name right now. And there's audio Colonel, tape of this Colonel whole thing. Holt. Colonel Holt. And honestly, here's my take on that. And then, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Brian Gumbel, actually did a great documentary on this that I felt was a pretty damn good explanation of what it seemed to be, which was this, there was, there was a road nearby and lights would come in and it did a lot of things they experienced. So I, I listened to that tape, that audio tape of that thing, feeling like Captain uh, Colonel Holt got spooked, can totally happen, right? And all the other people who are with him are like, if the leader is spooked, you're spooked, right? I mean, he would, we, he, everyone in that group does what we would do with the added thing of like literally rank, you know, he's, he, he outranks you, you know, wow. If he's freaked out, I'm freaked out. And they're all sort of reacting to this kind of thing. And all they ever did was see lights and they went and they did some Geiger counter stuff later, but there really wasn't a lot of conclusive stuff that that night was. Like. So I listened to the, the, the whole David Fravor experience and with Alex Dietrich, I feel had there, this is what I was thinking just like recently. Again, approaching it a little bit like the way Mick does. 
just thinking about literally what might Fravor have seen. And I thought Fravor got spooked. And it can happen, by the way. By the way, military, you know, as we all know, if military people weren't infallible, we wouldn't have terrible accidents that unfortunately happen to them like it does to anybody. Um, and, uh, and, and Alex Dietrich is his wing, you know, person, wing woman. And um, her job is to defend him and do all this stuff. And in the end, she only saw it very briefly. She doesn't know what it was. But him being spooked also kind of goes all the way down the chain to Kevin Day, to all the other people, right? If he hadn't mm. have done that, I don't know that there would have been this intensity about it. Well, right? Kevin Day had his experience. You know, he saw those radar things before David Fravor launched. That's the thing. You have to, yes. And you take time. So I open up my perspective again and start listening to all the stories and realize there is so many mysteries here, <laughs> all of which they don't have, you don't have to be the greatest radar expert in the world to just say, what the hell was that? Right. Just mm -hmm. tell me. And the one thing I love in hearing Kevin Day is like, he says, I'm kind of angry. Like I want, my job is to identify things right, right. and I could not identify it. He couldn't. Uh, yeah. So I just like, well, what are they? Here's the thing, yeah. right? It, let's, let's just yeah. assume for a second, David Fravor was spooked, right? Let's say yeah. he did. He, he misidentified it. Mm-hmm. Why would he be pushing it this hard? If he misidentified it, don't you think somewhere in the back of his brain, he's going, man, maybe I got this wrong, you know? And if he's got that doubt, that seed of doubt in his head, why is he going but he could be, minutes? If that were true, if that were true, he could be, he could be trapped at this point. Yeah. He can't back down. If well, that was so, all the case. Which, which is, which is, which is a, a fighter pilot mentality, right? Like you stick yeah. to your guns kind of thing. And, you know, well, also, optical let's, illusions let's are, remember, you see something, you believe it. Go, yeah. go ahead, rather. Yeah, yeah I mean, optical yeah. illusions are very convincing. And this is, everyone says that this was a completely anomalous event, right? So this is something he hasn't seen any time before. You know, he has no point of reference. It's very easy for me to believe that he's making some sort of observational mistake. But then you pair it with, yeah, like Kevin Day and the radar and the other pilots evidence that we are known that. Yeah, other yeah. pilots. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what Mick yeah. West can do so well is he can point out, he can be like, okay, this, he can point this and, and then you go, oh, yeah. And then, but you don't look at the rest of the scenario. And then we ask him about it and he says, well, it's one of those anomalous events that just rises up to the surface after, you know, you know, you just, it's a die roll, it's a dice roll. And, you know, it's one of those anomalous things that just so many people got it so wrong so many times it's rare, but it happens. And I'm like, man, that is, that's one hell of a dice roll there. I Mr. Mr. West, a, a whole naval fleet, <laughs> a whole naval fleet, a submarine, a plane yeah. in the sky, radar plane in the sky, uh, jets in the air, aircraft carrier, and I believe three or four other warships that that can, are contained in a fleet. All of these instruments, all of these people are saying the exact same thing. And if it's a commercial airliner, okay, or if it's uh, another friendly jet, the systems would recognize that. And these pilots wouldn't be going on 60 Minutes telling everybody they saw a Tic Tac that disappeared right in front of his cockpit. And this whole idea that it's a parallax effect or if it's a, a, an optical illusion i could buy that if it would if it's one pilot but what about the two other pilots in a different plane with a different angle that doesn't fit for them you know that that explanation does not fit for them so what do you say there and 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 what about the pilot 
who's on recording saying it's rotating. <laughs> like, are we just throwing that out the window because a couple of pixels don't fit with what you say? That the problem with every one of those things is I can hear, by the way, the part, there's part of my mind, the scientific or, you know, the thing. It just actually just, yes, actually, it doesn't matter what the pilot says. He could have been fooled in that moment, right? Um, but it's the summing up of all these things. Okay, maybe it wasn't rotating, but what the hell is it? You know, uh, um, who was the, there's another pilot that uh, Mick had on. Chris Lido. Chris Lido. That was really interesting. Now, he also, he opened his mind a bit, like he. They had an interesting sort of they had a great back and forth. I mean, he got an F-16 fighter pilot to agree with him on a lot of his points. There's a moment in that. Um, uh, sorry, Chris Lito, you said was in there? Um, yeah. There's a moment in that inter that Zoom call he does with Mick where they're both staring at the blob on the video, right on the black and white uh, radar or whatever the infrared image. And, you know, Mick is saying, well, look at the glare, look at this, look at that. And. But I can, you can, it's an interesting emotional moment. I thought you sort of pick up with Chris Lito. He's looking and he's so puzzled and so frustrated. He's yeah. like, he's like, I, okay, I don't know the glare, but what the hell is that? Yeah. And then Mick shows some um, uh, infrared of, you know, what regular planes look like. Right. And Chris Lito says, yeah, see, that's, that's what we're supposed to see. Right. A blob, this kind of thing doesn't appear in con connection with all the other signals you're getting. Right. You know, that's, well, the blob, the that, blob, that mystery is like, woo. The yeah. blob would appear if it was an aircraft at a certain angle, but at, at some point it would reveal yeah. itself to be a, a normal craft, which this does not do. Maybe it does do after the video ends, but based off what we're looking at, it does not do that. It just doesn't. Um, and what are you going to say, rather? I can see your face. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the frustrating part of it is that there's right. literally not enough data to decide one way or another. You can talk this right. to death and you can debate whether this object was rotating or not. And ultimately, I don't think that makes any difference, right? It's uh, the military looked at it. They said it was, you know, a, a anomalous. They couldn't figure out what it is. I don't think we're going to be able to figure out what it is just looking at this. Ultimately, here's what it boils down to. Is there a mystery there? And it's interesting. I feel like I'm <laughs> finally, I'm a little bit back on the stage of, of like, yeah, there's a genuine mystery here. I don't know what the answer is, but it's right. genuine. And if it's, if it's government, like you said, if it's some other technology, that is as weird as anything. Like, how could it be? That just, that really doesn't happen that somebody has... Someone else on your shows recently was pointing this out. You, know, you don't really typically when when there's a huge technological advance, suddenly everyone has it, like the iPhone or whatever. You don't generally find this, right. and that you could keep it a secret for so long. Well, the conversation's changing, right? Because here we are. We're in a podcast right now, you know, talking to NYU professors, and and we've got Harvard professors coming out. Like science is starting to catch up, not to what it is but just just trying to get folks like you to come to the table and say there's a genuine mystery here and we should look at it we shouldn't yeah. belittle it we shouldn't uh write it off we shouldn't put our personal knowledge on the table before we even look at it and dismiss it and so that's i think we're seeing that happen right now well it's uh, avi Loeb. avi Loeb is not going to get the John Mack um, 
treatment, you know, in sort of being trying to be fired or just amazing. Right. Like, I think that he he stands on the shoulders of John Mack. Now, I don't John Mack's a whole nother thing. We also covered mm -hmm. him quite deeply in, in this documentary I worked on. Um, I don't think anyway, it, that's a really different. That's a, yeah. I think that's a deep psychological mystery and that that's as far as I can go with that. But nonetheless, the the the. The Avi Loeb is so on the frontier. He also, when he published his book, Extraterrestrial, at first I was like, oh, come on. Now that is just like trying to sell a bunch of books mm -hmm. on this Oumuamua thing. But and now I listen to him all the time. And we're trying to get him on it. I'd love to get him on our show too. He's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Cool I, think, so, I think we could. Listen, we'll trade you. <laughs> yeah, I'll trade you. Trade you Avi Loeb for Michio Kaku. And we'll, okay, make, we'll, make, we'll make this happen. I love we'll this. this the Fantasy Podcast League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This is great. This is great. <laughs> you see, it always comes back yeah. to sports. Fa fantasy That's physics. Right. I love it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So uh, tell people about the, the, the... I don't know enough about this thing. This sounds amazing. This big phone... What, it's just a great name. The phone home. Big phone home. What's yeah, it called? The tell big phone home. That. So it's... Yeah. Um, it's something that I started last April at the announcement of the <clears throat> congressional report that was due in June. And so I was like, well, let's get together and let's see if we could push the needle one way, you know, because we've never as a community, we've never gotten together. And in one voice said, hey, you know, this this pointing at each other instead of pointing at each other, start pointing up and, and start asking and demanding questions from these entities that we give money to. We're taxpayers. All of these toys they pay for. At some point, we do have a right to know what the hell's going on. We don't want classified information. We don't want information that reveals the process, but we do want the end result <laughs> with some discussion and a little bit of data. So that way science can look at it and say, okay, there's something here. Let's actually devote some money and really wonderful minds to trying to solve what it is. You know, and of course, I recruited podcasters, journalists, um, you know, anybody in the field that has a huge audience. I tried to invite because I want them to encourage their audiences to pick up a phone, call a representative, write to them, tweet at them. Um, and but a lot of people didn't know who or how. So we created a website that shows you. Here's the people you contact. Here's a template that is uh, that was sort of constructed by Christopher Mellon and Lou Elizondo at that time. You know, take our template. You could print it out. You can mail it, or you can email it to them. Um, you know, follow me on Twitter, and and and, and you know, you you'll be able to sort of retweet my tweets. And because I'll be, you know, there's like eight committees and subcommittees that have direct knowledge of this topic, and so those are the committees we're really targeting with the with with the activism portion of it. We've got templates written by the best people, including John Greenwald, that have taken information or have requested information from our government and actually received it. So we had folks like that construct our templates, our email templates, our calling templates, our Twitter templates. So that way, you know, first of all, the message doesn't repeat. So nothing's filtered out by an AI at the congressional level. Um, and and it, we're just trying to give as many tools to people to to contact. If it's important to you, you we have to ask. We have to ask. And we have to do it around the same time because that's how change works, you know? So, so that's what we're doing. We're doing a three-day event we're trying to get the best and brightest minds. Uh, we have a, a a day devoted to contactees and podcasters and people, you know, that have a, a, a strong um, uh, 
uh, passion for the topic. On day two for Michael's channel, we're inviting nothing but scientists. You know, it's going to be a science day. Uh -huh. So we're going to have Avi Loeb and, and guy uh, Rich Hoffman. We've got Hal Putoff uh, that have committed. So it's going to be a great scientific discussion. And then on the third day, we're going to be talking to veterans and former and current government officials uh, to get their perspectives on, on, on what's going on. And the whole point of the three days is two things. I've added a new mission. The first is to get congressional public hearings. Um, and then the second is to try and kill the stigma. So that way it'll encourage more military uh, personnel uh, to come forward and tell their story. Um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to encourage people to be honest with themselves, be honest with their representatives, and also contact them and demand more. This is a huge thing about the military, I would say, by the way. Part of the problem is that for, for all the lots of, like we were just saying, lots of people talking about the Tic Tac incidents or whatever it is, all the different military, especially Navy and Air Force incidents that have happened. My, I do have a question about like, well, there's a lot more people. Like, are they all, what do they think? Are they all like, actually, I saw that, that was nothing or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, that'd be worth hearing. But absolutely, if there's a lot of people, I mean, when Alex Dietrich showed up on 60 Minutes, I think, by the way, that was a terrible just piece of journalism. It was such a mess. But when she came on and, and she was like, oh, finally, we're going to reveal this person and her passion. She was so passionate about it. I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Um, anyway, I, I love the name and I love, you know, the sort of hint of humor in there, the phone, big yeah. phone home. And yet it also reminds me of, you know, it comes from E.T., yeah. which is one of those things we all come together on. Like yeah, this beautiful yeah. thing. <laughs> You know, I was yeah. very, I didn't want any images of alien faces or UFOs or any of the things that bring up stigma, you know, but I also wanted yeah. it to be something that people go, well, what's the big phone home or the ET? What's going on? You know, so, yeah. and then when they find out what it is, it's like, oh, these guys are calling for, for, it's brilliant. for more disclosure, for more transparency, for more truth. And the beautiful thing about our website is except for when it comes to the template aspect of things. But if you want to engage your government about Black Lives Matter, you can use our website to do that. That's right. Uh, if you want to yeah. engage your government about gun rights or border, or the border crisis or COVID, you can use our website to contact your local and state reps to express yourself. And so yeah. That's the underlying, that's why we keep saying this is a bipartisan thing. <laughs> like you, yeah. we can, if we can get transparency on this topic, it will open the door for a lot of other uh, discussions to be had on a lot of other things. Um, and because right now the government has the biggest issue our government has, and I hate to paintbrush the government because there's a lot of entities, a lot of great people that work within our government. It's just not this mm -hmm. evil entity. Um, right. But the, the biggest issue that Congress and the Senate and the executive branch have is nobody trusts them. The trust level has eroded. It's gone. And if they want to win back a little bit of trust, this is a great way to do it. And I don't think it'd even be a little bit there. I mean, I was watching the Hill, the, or not the Hill, but, uh, you know, Crystal, uh, uh, Ball and Sager and Jetty, and they were talking about the, like they're looking at the numbers of this and how many people once the, the, the 2017 article came out in the New York Times. And since then, when they've released this information in these reports, people are starting to gain trust when they hear about these things because they see the government's being transparent on the information to a point. Um, and then when they get to the end of that, they're like, hey, can we have some more? And the government's like, nah. 
you know, we're good. Um, but but they won the trust. Like the people want to engage their government on this because everyone knows that our government has the information. They've got they they may not have the conclusion or the answer as to what it is, but God, they have mountains and mountains of data that should be unclassified, especially when it comes from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like all of these systems are declassified. None of these systems are still used. Some of the processes of these systems are absolutely still used but the the hardware is not so let's declassify it let's talk about it let's give it to people so we can we can start let let academics figure this out you know let them do the work but just give us the data and i don't think that's an unreasonable request right that's and avi Loeb's sort of mission as he's sort of saying let the, let's let the experts take a look at it um uh and it's a teachable moment. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm a member, I would consider myself a member, a small member, but of the science communication community. And I feel like this is such a great opportunity if you can, A, but you got to work on yourself. You got to work on your own, <laughs> calm down a little bit, mm -hmm. but everybody wants to learn. I mean, here we are, it's like people, you got people super passionate about a mystery of nature. That's what science is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's not easy, but it's in, it, it doesn't have the automatic like NASA, the human space program has an automatic appeal. There isn't that much skepticism. I mean, you know, other than, well, shouldn't you pay for different kinds of things? But that's a different story. The um, so it's an it's it's an opportunity for that. And I think with the government, what you're saying is actually, I think, maybe one of the most helpful. One of the biggest benefits there is simply the government says we hear you, you know, that, and or and I would say that's a scientist, too. That's the problem is that we hear you. Yeah. 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 Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell mm -hmm. me. And then let's. And I think we're getting there. I mean, like for the first time in a long time, we're seeing senators discuss this on a public level. I, 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 I'm sure rather in, in Michael are tired of this example, but I always compare it to the medical marijuana discussion. Like in 1994, you couldn't find a senator or a congressman to touch that discussion with a 10 foot pole. And here we are in 2021. It's almost a completely legalized substance. Most states have, have decriminalized it. Um, and in another five or 10 years, it'll be a legal substance. Okay. But it took right. 30 years to get there. I think oh, there were Republicans be... buying up land to, to yeah. farm it. <laughs> yeah, of course, because they saw the financial benefit of it. And I think yeah. this is yeah. sort of the same discussion that's kind of happening right now with the UAP topic is, is you're now now we're starting to get senators, actual powerful senators coming out and going, yep, this is a problem. And we've been lobbying, uh, you know, our, the government, your government to look into it. Um, and we, I can't give you too much information, but just know they're real. It's an issue. It's on our radar. And it's one of the only issues in the last four years that ha when, when it was voted on, it was a bipartisan bill that got through. It was one of the few in four years where both sides of the aisle voted on it. So that's where I see the value in this is holy cow. In this in this climate, this is the thing that got through with bipartisan support. Man, we need to apply this everywhere. And so that's that's what inspired the big phone home. So we're doing it September 4th, 5th and 6th, Labor Day weekend. Join us. It's a free event. We're going to have a whole bunch of speakers. Um, you know, we're, we, I'm sure we can get with you and, and get some of your NYU guys for our science day, because I think we still got a few spots. Right, Michael? Oh, do you, Brian do. Keating? Mm -hmm. Do you guys know Brian Keating? We reached out to Brian Keating. He denied. He used to, I think he said he was busy. Right, Mike? 
yeah, he just said he's slammed right slammed now. Slam busy. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we yeah. want Keating, we want Weinstein, we want Kaku, we want Neil deGrasse Tyson to come in and, and have this conversation with us. You know, I think it's valuable. We want their viewpoints. We just want to try and convince them to to go back to that childlike wonder. Your show is a revelation to me. I think people should tune should tune in. It's uh, on YouTube. Um, tune in. Do you tune in on YouTube? Sure. Dial yeah. it in. Click yeah. it in. Click in. Um, uh, the unidentified celebrity review. And again, the revelation for me is like, hey, there's a whole community of like reasonable people having discussions about this. I mean, the amount of like just sane talk that comes in interspersed with all the other stuff is unbelievable you you would expect if you know nothing you would expect that something about ufos would just be the crazies and this is your your site is like uh your people coming together in a way that i've i've never seen so it's really great celebrating um join the big phone home yeah right on and uh because i mean that's like our goal you know what's funny is like the lady across the street that lives for me she's like i found your channel and i love it it's so scientific i'm like really (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) you know uh i'm not the scientist that's for sure but we try to bring on the minds that are and um and and i appreciate that man because i think i you know just being on the show and and talking to you guys and and seeing who's paying attention to what we're saying it's exactly the audience that i was reaching for and and it's exciting it's exciting to get minds like yours and and your colleagues to 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 just think about it for a second have the discussion you know like we're having the discussion and that's god it gives me so much hope and it and i cannot wait to see where this discussion is in five years 10 years 20 years it's gonna be yeah really fun (laughs) yeah 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 um michael uh where can people find you in addition to your show here. Absolutely. So I co-host the Unidentified Celebrity Review on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But in case you want to be with us all week long and you want to explore some science and breaking tech, one of the things I'm fascinated by is this idea of the technological singularity. Uh, mm-hmm. But more importantly, the the human evolution that we're seeing uh, side by side with tech. So mm-hmm. we cover that at, on my show uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and the show is called The Singularity Lab. So you can just type that into YouTube and find us there. You can also find me on Twitter at Singularity Mike. Fantastic. Yeah, I got to check that out. I've not seen your channel. I'm excited to check it out. And rather, where can people find you beyond yeah, you the... <laughs> yeah, I'm on the UCR uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Uh, occasionally, I pop in on The Singularity Lab on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you can always find me on my channel, Rather Be Squidding, where I explore some kind of fringe science ideas and try to take them one step further than legitimate scientists might <laughs> interesting yeah, it's really cool yeah 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 um uh someone's got to do it i call that yeah. you know that's well, courage eventually yeah. legitimate science will take that step with you rather <laughs> here's open that's the hope leading the way the pied piper leading the way thank you uh, and on on behalf of uh matt stanley and uh, gabby Panicia, who i ran out of the room because i just there's so much here um amazing thank you now guys we have a ritual at the end of our show where um because each week we ask what the if and the what we're going to do we never know what we're going to do next week who does i don't know what i'm going to do in the next hour um and when we ponder the amount of possible questions we could ask the amount of ifs that are out there it fills us with horror and dread 
and uh, at the, the majesty and uh, abundance of possibility that is to be had. And so it causes us to dream. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thank you.